Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam. And as always, the Rambling Runner podcast is here for all those dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today, I am happy to be joined by Alana Kopelson. Alana recently ran 259, my goodness, in the Chicago Marathon uh, after just a couple years ago running her first marathon before age 21 in 335. So in just a couple short years, Alana, you have improved mightily in the marathon. 335 wasn't that bad, but my goodness, (laughs) 259. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, Yeah, that was such a nice intro. Thank you. Um, Yeah, it's crazy to me still to look back. Um, Of course, 335 is still a very respectable marathon time, and I was so ecstatic when, you know, I crossed that finish line at 335. I'm still so proud of myself for that day. But, um, yeah, I've been been dreaming about a sub three for, you know, months now, so it's, it's kind of surreal that it finally happened. I can imagine, and you know, we all have running goals, and especially with marathon goal times, even when it's something where you can see it becoming reality, is you know, you look on all of those race or pace calculators, and you say, all right, I can run a 330 or whatever round number a lot of people gravitate towards. Executing it oftentimes is a lot harder than kind of predicting it. So I definitely want to get into into your recent marathon effort, but before we do, I just want to bring it back a few years. Um, so before your 335, you were at Indiana, correct? Your Indiana University? Yes. So, yes, I was. You know, so you're at that point, most marathoners are not at that age, right? Most people get into yeah. marathon a little <laughs> bit later in life, especially, no, I just didn't say especially, but even if they are active runners, they kind of enter it later in the game. So for you, what was the, the reasoning behind getting into marathoning at such a young age relative to some other uh, marathoning peers? Yeah, so um, people think it's kind of crazy. I actually was not a runner at all growing up through, um, you know, middle school or high school, um, really even college. Um, So my mom is a big marathon runner. She's done 60 or 70 marathons, something crazy like that. So I always grew up with it in my family. Um, I was a dancer, and I played sports, but running was never really my thing. I kind of viewed running as the punishment, um, you know, during those sports, but I knew I was always fast. Like, I would always come in first place in the mile at field hockey, but I honestly dreaded running. Um, my mom would always try and drag me to those, you know, 5Ks, and I would just find every reason to complain and, and you know, not do them. So um, I think it was really in college when I was at Indiana. Um, you know, I started running just to stay in shape, and I wasn't dancing anymore, so it was a way just, you know, at the gym, what else am I going to do other than run on the treadmill? And that's when I actually started to enjoy it um, and realized that I was pretty good at running. So I think one one summer, maybe after my freshman year, uh, my mom just was like, come out, you know, for a run with me. And I remember we did a 10-mile run, and I was so proud of myself. And I think that's really what kind of lit the fire inside of me. Um, that summer also, I was just running for fun with a friend who was training for a half marathon. So, you know, I thought, you know, she's doing it. I'm doing the training with her, and I might as well sign up for my first half marathon. So, um, yeah, this is when I was 20, so I was, I think, a sophomore in college. And then I'm always kind of up for anything. So I remember one weekend I was coming home um, from college for, you know, a fall break, and my mom said, "Um, I'm I'm doing this 18-mile race. You know, do you want to do it with me? And I thought she was crazy because, you know, I'd never done more than the 10 miles we did months ago that summer. So, 
I signed up, and she said, you know, just run with me. We'll take it easy. And I think within the first minute, you know, I have a really competitive side. So I was like, bye, Mom. I'll see you at the finish line and um, ran. And that 18-mile run after that, I was like, wow, this, this is this is cool. I, you know, I enjoy running these long distances, and I'm pretty good. So um, that's when I made the goal to run a marathon before my 21st birthday. Um you know, and most people would say, okay, you sign up for a marathon, you do the training, and, you know, it goes well. Um, I was the opposite. I did not train at all. Um, you know, I was in shape. I worked out every single day and, you know, would run a few miles here and there and lift weights and stuff. But um, I just had that goal, and I set it, and um, I was a little nervous on the starting line. You know, I knew I would finish, and I would do whatever it took to fin- to finish if I had to, you know, crawl my way in. But I honestly surprised myself and, you know, finished with that 3.35, and that was before I even knew what Boston qualifying time meant. So I think after that is kind of what fueled the fire inside of me. You know, if I can run a 3.35 with no training, um, I wonder what I can do with some training. So uh, that's kind of all where it started. I know that was a little long, but (laughs) that's my story. Well, it it really is a fascinating story because it is so unique in so many ways. Uh, I almost don't even know where to pick up. You know, first of all, (laughs) coming from a family where your mom was such an active runner, um, you know, 60 or 70 marathons, that that really is incredible no matter what pace anybody runs. And just it's so funny that you still, even with that, you know, in the house, you still viewed running as like the punishment sport. You know, like you said, yeah. like if you don't do well, <laughs> hey, go run a lap, so on and so forth. And so funny that you were able to see the positive benefits of running, basically staring you in the face every day, but it's still like, you know, was something that for you was kind of far off and kind of tapping into. And that's such an interesting, yeah. inter- interesting thing. Also, just how genetics play into it, right? Because I think a <laughs> lot of people, rightfully so, they look at, all right, you know, how well you do at running, especially long distance running is more about training than genetics, right? So running fast might be more genetic based, whereas, you know, long distance running might be something else. Um, This is a gross oversimplification. I'm just kind of throwing out a possible hypothesis here. Um, Whereas for you, obviously, that wasn't necessarily the case. So I guess going back to that marathon, though, how was your pacing during that marathon? And I bring that up in the context of your most recent Chicago effort when you ran 259, the pacing was remarkably consistent. You know, every 5K yeah. <laughs> was like right, like like a metronome in terms of the consistency, um, all the way up to 40K. So for you, what did it look like for that first effort? You know, was there like the the, the 20 mile wall? Any of that going on? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's actually funny because now I'm so obsessed with my Garmin watch. You know, I if I don't go on a run with my watch I feel naked but I didn't even know what that was such a thing there was a thing as GPS watches so I had no watch I just kind of went I literally had no time in mind um and like I said I had literally done no long runs besides that 18 mile long run that was probably six months before so I really had no idea I was such an amateur um and I think my that first experience you know I really didn't I, I remember since I didn't have a watch I was just looking at the clocks at each mile and kind of counting on my fingers doing that marathon math and I was like oh this is around like eight minutes 805 you know pretty good I just kept trying to count eight minutes around then um and it was just cool for me that whole experience you know I remember when I passed mile 18 and it was the, the longest I've ever gone and it was just entering a whole new territory so I think I was just more excited about you know tackling that distance rather than the time 
So, you know, once I got to mile 19, 20, I don't remember ever really hitting a wall. I mean, my legs where I was in so much pain, but it was just, it, it was so cool to me. Like, oh, wow, I've never run 23 miles, um, 24 miles. Wow, like, this is awesome. So I think it was the, I think it was at mile 23, I, I saw a pacer in front of me. And, you know, I, like I mentioned before, I am pretty competitive. So I think that's when, you know, the competitive side kicked in and I, I tried to pass that pacer. And I remember 340 pacer. So that was the only real time I ever really had any idea what time I was going to be running. So, um, yeah, and, you know, of course, at the end, when you see that finish line, you try and sprint to the finish. Um, yeah, but when I crossed that finish line, I was just happy to be done. Um, you know, I didn't know my time was good or bad or whatever. And then it wasn't until my mom was running the same race, she finished, and she was like, oh, I think you might have qualified for Boston. Um, I was a few seconds off, but, um, um, yeah, so I didn't really care about my pace, but it turned out that I probably had pretty, uh, you know, consistent splits there too. Um, yeah. And like you mentioned for Chicago, I was pretty happy with them. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, known to a uh, positive split in marathons, which is not the best thing to do. So yeah, I was very happy with my recent race. Um, they were, they were pretty consistent, but so that's something I'm definitely proud of. Yeah. Right. Cause that really shows kind of the, uh, intensity and the, the quality of, the training, I would assume, to go yeah. out there and not only have the strength and the wherewithal to, to finish the last 10K in a similar pace that you started the race in, but also to know, all right, this is what I'm capable of doing and not overshoot it, especially in the beginning. Anyone who runs a marathon, right, you get that you're so jazzed up at the beginning, you come out to shoot, you get the cheering crowds, especially if it's a bigger marathon, and it's so it's so easy to run that first mile you know, faster than your goal pace because you know, you're just feeling oh, great, yeah. right? You're, I mean, if you're if you're hurting in the first marathon, first mile of a marathon, you're doing it wrong. So yeah, it's definitely easy <laughs> yeah, to, for sure. to, to surpass it. So yeah, after the so, 335. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. So after no, no, the 335, no, you had that that had that gap, um, kind of that in, the interval where you then, you know, I don't know if it was the next marathon or the marathon after where you clocked 315. So for you, what were what was the difference in terms of the training? Obviously, you, you already mentioned, all right, this is what you did for the first marathon, which was a whole lot of just I'm a fit person, let's see what I can do, versus yeah. when you when you went out for the 315 and got the 315, what did the change in training look like for you? Yeah, well, that's the thing. There was training. So um, for my first two marathons, and you know, the 335, and then I ran, I waited an entire another year um, to run another one, didn't train again at all because I was in college and it was time for that. But um, then I ran a 3:30, um, which you know that was my first Boston qualifying time. Um, and then after that, that's when I really started to get serious. So I graduated from college, and um, you know, I realized that I did want to take my running more seriously. Um, so I actually, you know, kind of I didn't have a coach yet. I started making my own training plan, just adding in the long runs every single week. And I think for me, what which work what works best is just having that time on your feet. Um, you know, from so before that, I think it was at three fourteen. I had a three eighteen and then a three fourteen. So I think that I didn't really have much speed work. It was more about just getting in those miles and you know, having those long runs and building up my endurance. So that's really, I think, what helped me. Um, I didn't really start to do, you know, tempos and speed until I was training for Boston, um, you know, last April. So I think just for me, it's just about putting in the miles and putting in the time on your feet, really. Interesting. So then 
after you had those two marathon experiences, right, so now you're in kind of the mid-teens area, at what point in your at what point in this whole timeline for you do you go from, all right, I think I can be pretty good at this to, hey, I think I can be one of the best in the country at this. You know, I <laughs> saw a stat uh, earlier today where it's like 2% of marathoners break three minutes. I mean, three minutes, three hours, <laughs> my goodness, yeah. um, break three hours in the marathon. And so, you know, that by definition means that you are, you know, an, an elite runner, you know, maybe not a professional, yeah. but an elite runner. So, when when did it go from all right, I have you know some genetic gifts here. Obviously, I have some lineage with my mom. Um, to go from that to to all right, hey, I can be competitive. I can you know be one of the top female finishers you know in in a in a pretty serious marathon. And where, when did the goals start to really shift for you? Yeah, so I think it was right after that three fourteen in Philly um, in twenty sixteen. So um, you know that was a pretty big goal. I didn't know if I could really jump right from 314 to sub three, I think. Um, you know, a lot of people do that, but I think it was important for me to take small chunks off. Um, so that's really when that thought came in my mind. And I said, okay, this is, you know, I'm going to dedicate myself to this training, whether that means waking up at five in the morning to, you know, run 12 miles, a tempo run before work, but I'm going to do it. So, yeah, so I think that was just in the past year, really. Um, I really dedicated myself towards training, up the mileage, you know, put in the, the tempo miles and the speed work. Um, I started working with a coach, and I really just got, you know, this thought in my head, like, I, I can be good, you know. I'm, I'm dedicated to this sport, and I want to get better. So um, I had in my head that I wanted to break three at Boston, but I kind of knew that was an unrealistic goal just because, like I said before, it's that was a very big jump, you know, 15 minutes. Um, so Boston, I just wanted to go out there and, and, you know, see what, after all this hard work, what I could do. And, um, you know, I don't know if you know, but Boston was a very hot day and it's an extremely hard course. So I ended up with a 309, which I was very, very proud of. Um, I think I was in shape to run probably a 305, but that, that course just (laughs) eats you up. So, um, especially on a hot day. So after that 309, you know, I thought, this is it. I'm I'm going to go for it. Um, you know, a lot of people maybe thought I was crazy. Like, why don't you, you know, go for sub 305? But it was in my mind, and I knew what my body was capable of. Um, I had I was hitting you know faster tempos than I ever had before. Um, I was doing doing long runs with six mile fast finishes. You know, so I knew what I was capable of. And you know, of course, there were times when I was scared. I you know I didn't I didn't know if I'd be able to do it here in Chicago, but I think really my mind, my mindset changed. And instead of telling myself, um, you know, wondering if I could do it, I just told myself I, I did it. You know, I'm, I'm, I visualized myself crossing that finish line with the clock 2.59 something. So I think that really is what, what helped me in the end, you know, accomplish my goal. So I guess it was kind of a chicken and egg question. For you, did yeah. you kind of have the belief and kind of the faith that you could do it, and then that started to spur on some of the training that helped you get there? Or was it more of like, hey, this is where my training is taking me, and all of a sudden this looks like a realistic goal? Yeah, so I think at first I put in my head, like, this is what I want to do. Um, but then, there, you know, I had some breakthrough workouts, and I ran a half marathon, you know, 127 half. So I think, I, you know, it, it, I had that goal first, 
But then once I had, you know, those breakthrough moments, you know, a 22-mile long run with eight miles at, you know, 645 pace, things like that, I think that's kind of what, um, you know, assured me that I could do it. So you definitely have to put the training in and, you know, see those results. Um, yeah, so I think I kind of set the goal first and then kind of hoped the training would follow, and luckily it did. So it all worked out. Yeah, absolutely. And and over the past year and a half, has your training, I should say, has your improvement been kind of like a linear, like you had to graph it out, has it been kind of a linear improvement or has there been kind of like jumps and plateaus? Yeah, no. <laughs> I think every runner wishes is linear and everything, you know, every day you wake up and you're faster than the next day. But um, no, <laughs> of course, it, it's not like that. But, um, and, you know, um, I'm pretty big on Instagram and everyone loves to show, you know, the, the great runs they have. And of course I like to do that too, but there are all those runs that you have that, you know, you feel like crap and you're like, why did I just take five steps backwards? You know? So I've had some workouts where I've literally had to stop the workout in the middle of the run because, you know, I, my, my calf was cramping up or I just felt so out of breath on, on tempo paces that I shouldn't. So I definitely had those ups and downs. Um, I know back in May I was having – I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough never to really had a, have had a big injury, um, but I, you know, was having some Achilles issues, and I had to take, you know, a week and a half off, which is not that much compared to other people, but I was, you know, kind of freaking out, thinking, you know, I'm not going to come back from this, but um, you kind of have to take everything, you know, a, a day at a time, and you're going to have those bad workouts, you know, and you're going to have those amazing workouts, so I definitely think – my progress was definitely not linear. I mean, I was definitely always um, making steps in the right direction, but there were some days that I was just like, how am I going to run a marathon? I mean, 26 miles is a lot. So, no, I, I think it's great. Um, you know, on Instagram, people show all the, the, the highlights, the highlight reel, but definitely for me there's been some um, not-so-great days. So I want people to know that not everything is, you know, linear. <laughs> Absolutely. And that, that is nice to hear. I know, especially, you know, for me, shoot, three weeks ago, I had a rough patch in my own training. And I don't know if this happens to you. But for me, it was definitely like, you know, a crisis of confidence type thing of like, all right, what's going yeah. wrong versus like, is it one thing? Is it everything? Do I need to like take a month off? Do I just need do I need to ramp it up? Am I being too hard on myself? Am I being too soft on myself? As like everything all of a sudden starts getting questioned. Um, so for you, how do you deal with those moments or those sustained um, periods of time where the workouts aren't quite flowing? And how does having a coach play into that? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely hard. Um, like I said, I had to take a week and a half off. And, that you know, that's nothing compared to people that are taking months off um, due to injuries. And, you know, that even that was really hard for me mentally. You know, I think I was – I felt like I was ruining all my progress by missing, you know, two tempo runs in the long run. Um, but I think it is nice to have a coach, um, especially my coach is a very experienced marathon runner. So, you know, I, I do trust him and respect his opinion. So I think that was helpful to have, you know, a professional really tell me, you know, you need this week off or else you will not get better and you will not meet your goals. So I think really when things like that happen, you have to think of the bigger picture and it's going to suck in the moment. Um, you know, right now I obviously just ran a marathon on Sunday, so I'm taking, you know, a week off, maybe even longer. And it's like, you want to jump right back into training and get right back in. But, you know, I have to think of those long-term goals. You know, I might want to run right now, but it's, it, 
I have to, it's so, it would be so stupid for me, you know, what if I jump back in too quickly and get injured and then I really can't run at all, you know. So in tough moments like that, you just really have to think of the bigger picture and kind of set your eyes on, you know, the end result, you know. Missing one or two tempo runs and a few long runs, in the bigger picture is not going to affect your, you know, your marathon time. So, uh, you know, just remembering things like that and, and trust your body, you know, if, if a few extra days off will only help your body. Um, so yeah, really what I've learned in this mar- marathon training cycle is just listen to your body and trust the process. That's, that's my motto. That's a, there's a lot of great information in there. Thank you for sharing all yeah. that. And, and I'm Sorry, excited to kind of dive in. <laughs> No, not at all. I mean, you, what, everything you just said, I think, relates to a lot of the inner, the kind of the inner conversations that all runners have, right? Like that. Yeah. I think it's interesting to hear somebody who has, you know, achieved, you know, even in a very short period of time, some of the things that you've achieved from a marathoning perspective, because it, I feel like for me is no different than some of the my inner monologue or, you know, the discussions I have with myself post-run, pre-run, or even sometimes during a run um, mm-hmm. on some of these topics. And diving into the into, into Chicago, um, I guess I'd love to hear just, like, right from the start. Um, you know, you had, the, you had the race goal. You were ready for it. You know, it's a big-time marathon. So, obviously, you have as much information about the course as you'd ever want going into it. You know, you have a coach yeah. who's helping you. So, what did the morning look like in terms of, like, your pre-race, you know, your wake up and you're, you're getting ready and you're getting into kind of the marathon mode and you're kind of uh, about to I guess, about to step onto the, the street to, to get it going. Yeah, this is a crazy story. So um, the night before the marathon, you know, I, I maybe it was the taper crazies, I don't know, but I, I felt rested, I felt ready to go. Um, you know, when I was doing my, my typical pre-foam roll routine the night before, it was probably 8 p.m. Saturday, um, and I was foam rolling my hamstring, and I felt something pull. And, you know, immediately I started freaking out. I, I, I was just foam rolling, and something really pulled in my leg. I mean, I was limping. I was in excruciating pain. So, of course, I'm freaking Holy out. Cow. I'm about to run. Yeah, I'm about to run a marathon the next day. And my dad was in town. He's like, you're fine. It's just nerves. I'm like, no, no, no. This is something. I, I think I pulled my hamstring. So, of course, I was freaking out. He was, like, frantically trying to get me Advil and ice and everything. I was rolling and all this stuff. And I was freaking out. I honestly, like, I, I don't know if I can run. So that's not what you want to happen there for the race. Um, so, of course, like true pre-marathon fashion, I barely slept. Um, I was freaking out the whole race about the, the hamstring that I woke up and my I was having shit splints, all this crazy stuff. Um, you know, and I, I, I typically freak out for races and make myself super anxious. So, but, you know, there's nothing I could do about it. I was going to get to that start line and just do what I, you know, came out to do. And I did my typical, you know, eat eat breakfast. I woke up at 4 a.m. The race starts at 7.30. And, you know, my hamstring is still hurting. I'm rolling. I'm just trying to do my best not to freak myself out. Um, you know, I like to eat just a nice breakfast. doesn't hurt my stomach. You know, drink water. Um, you know, I got to that start line. I was warming up. My hamstring was still hurting, but... I think right when that, you know, the gun went off when I started, all my nerves just disappeared. There was no hamstring pain the rest of the race and still no hamstring pain now. So maybe that was like phantom pains. I don't know. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm like a lot of people out there. I get 
super, super nervous before races. And then right, you know, when I'm on the starting line, um, there's just a sense of community with marathon runners, no matter what time you're running, you know, if you're front of the pack, back of the pack, whatever, I think just when you're out there, um, it's just a sense of, you know, community and it's everyone's there for the same goal to finish. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty hectic, uh, night and morning of, but I was just so excited to start and, you know, especially in a race like Chicago, such a big race, so many fans. It was just, you know, right when I started, I couldn't be happier. So <laughs> that was my hectic story. <laughs> that is that is crazy. I never heard anything <laughs> yeah. like that. Um, yeah. It's really nothing. I, I've had I've had plenty of actual pains. I've never had phantom pains, so I, I can't relate yeah. to it. But it doesn't sound enjoyable. It's almost like it's almost worse than having a slight injury because you have this yeah. question of like, do I? You know, like, how, how real is this? Um, all right, so, so we talked earlier about how your pacing was very consistent, um, basically yeah. 642 pace to run um, the average pace for your, your marathon in total. So the first 10 miles, how did that play out for you, and how did it um, play out in terms of what you were expecting to have happen once the race got started and you realized that your hamstring was going to be okay? <laughs> yeah. So luckily, um, Chicago has pacers, um, pace groups. So there was a three-hour pacer. And, um, you know, like you said, it's so easy to go out super fast the first miles and then blow up in the end. That's what I did last year at Chicago. And I hit the ball hard at mile 20. So I was really lucky to, you know, stay with those two three-hour pacers. They were two great guys. Um, they were making it fun. They were chatting. Um, so it was really nice not to really have to think about what pace I was running, not have to obsessively check my watch every mile. So that was really nice. And I actually stayed with them through, you know, about 10 miles. And then, you know, you kind of every few miles want to check your body, see how it's feeling, you know, kind of pick it up a little. And um, I think I, I saw a lot of friends and family around, you know, those miles. So I think not purposely, I kind of just picked it up a little after mile 10 and kind of lost the pacers there. So, no, but I felt good, and so I just stuck with it. And, you know, like you said, when you were looking at my splits, it was, it was pretty fluid. I mean, those miles, you know, they were just ticking off pretty consistently. So I was very happy with my pacing strategy, um, especially after I kind of, you know, went ahead of the pacers a little bit. I knew they were kind of right behind me, so I knew if I, you know, I needed to, you know, stay with them, I could. But, yeah, it was just, I, I, w I was doing what my body was capable of and just was able to consistently hit those miles, you know, pretty comfortably until probably about mile 18 where things really start to hurt in the marathon. I'm sure you agree. Oh, yes. It, it's always yeah. hurt for me. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so when you were doing your race plan, were you thinking about, all right, if things are going well, trying to maybe – try to get to the point where your pace was a little bit ahead of three hours so that you give yourself a cushion or you're trying to kind of yeah. almost hit it on the number. And then that way, you know, you're not going out too hard. Yeah, definitely. Um, you always want to have a little bit of a buffer and a cushion just because, I mean, I don't know if you saw my watch, but I ran 26.7 miles, you know, half a mile over just because, you're running all the tangents and you're zigzagging to get water and all that stuff. So I knew I had to, you know, run a little bit faster than a 650 pace just to have that cushion in the end. But um, my coach and I had talked about negative splitting, meaning you go out a little slower and then pick it up. But um, like I said, I was lucky to have those pacers. So they, they wanted to run pretty even splits. Um, my plan was always to run a little evenly and maybe, then maybe pick it up the second half and try and run even under 259. Um and it was going pretty well until um, 
probably about mile 22 is when I really started to get nauseous and dehydrated. So from, you know, the last four miles was kind of just like stay exactly where you are. Just, you know, stay consistent no matter what. You've lost 30 minutes of running, so just make it to the finish line. So, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't really thinking about, you know, trying to pick up my, my pace there. I was just kind of <laughs> thinking about surviving. So, yeah, those last four miles weren't brutal. <laughs> And I and I'd love to talk about that because especially yeah. with you running Chicago the year before, you meant you just yeah. mentioned that you hit that wall really hard. So when you hit the wall at mile twenty two last weekend, what was mentally, what was it like for you trying to, you know, stick to the race pace, stick to your goal with the idea of, okay, you know, I'm coming to grips with the agony of this which sometimes gets overblown in the moment, and then you also can hearken mm-hmm. back to what happened last year. What was the interplay in your mind between those two those two things? Oh, yeah. It, it was rough. I mean, usually when I, you know, during those last few miles of the marathon, it's because my legs are burning and, I, you know, I physically don't feel like I can walk another step. But um, on Sunday, my legs felt great, and, I, you know, I really credit that to all the mileage I've been running. But it was the nausea and the, you know, the dehydration, no matter how much water I was drinking, I I felt so dehydrated and sick, you know, physically sick. So it kind of was just survival mode from then on. And there were points in those four miles where I was like, just slow down. I don't, I don't want to throw up. I don't want to pass out. And then there are those other thoughts that said, no, I, I did not make it this far to miss my goal probably by like 30 seconds. So it was really that inner dialogue in my head, you know, of, just push it, you can throw up at the finish line or, you know, slow down and listen to your body. Um, So, you know, I I always tell people you always should listen to your body, but um, when you have three, four miles left in a marathon and you're really trying to go for a certain time, you know, that that's when you just give it your own and push it. So um, like I said, those, I would say mile 22 to 24 were absolute, just awful. Um, The sickness, I just felt horrible, but I think the last two miles is really when the adrenaline kicks in. And honestly, those last two miles are kind of a blur for me. Um, I saw a few women pick it up and push the pace. And I said, I'm going to try and stay with them as long as I can. Um, You know, it's two miles and it's going to hurt like hell, but it's only two miles. So you can do anything for two miles. Um, And I think it really helped that I saw, you know, my dad and my boyfriend and a few friends those last few miles really to just – you know, help me get, get through those dark moments. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that is amazing because it really speaks to the fact that a lot of that hitting the wall um, feeling, not for everybody, but like in this moment for you, and this is exactly what happened to me during my two marathons as well, is that it is, it's a mental game because it's yeah. not as if, your body was better at mile 24 than it was at mile 22. In fact, it was obviously in a worse position. You just ran two additional mm-hmm. miles, right? Yeah. You were just on your feet for an additional 14-some-odd minutes. And yet, all of a sudden, for you, you hit this new plat- this, this new level of running internally where it all of a sudden it felt great, whereas just two miles before that, it felt terrible. So... You know, is that one of those things where you go into it knowing, like, all right, this is going to be a mental challenge, and how am I going to deal with this when the going gets tough, and just the the process by which you handle those moments? Is that something that you personally prepare for? Yeah, I mean, you can never really prepare for the pain that you're going to feel at mile 24 of a marathon, but um, 
yeah, like you said, I'm all about visualization. And I think on a lot of my runs, you know, whether I'm doing a tempo run or a long run on tired legs, I just think of, you know, this, I'm preparing my body for that pain I'm going to feel. So, um, yeah, like I said, you know, when I was doing, you know, 22-mile long runs, um, I was just thinking about the pain I would feel then and preparing myself and saying, you know, you're going to feel this pain, so I would be ready for it. But the feeling you're going to have at the finish line if you run sub three is going to be is going to be so worth it. So, yeah, I definitely go in with the mindset of knowing I'm going to feel like crap those last two miles. But um, I think if you prepare for it, it doesn't make it easier, but it makes, you know, the mental aspect of it a little bit better. You know, it helps you push, definitely. Right. And that's what you just brought up. I thought it was very interesting because I was about to ask you this question anyway, is that have you felt as you've you know prepared for marathons you know more extensively and you're becoming a better runner every year and you're putting more miles in during training that running the marathon is quote unquote easier now than it was in the beginning or is it equally as tough it's always tough and that it's just because the goals keep getting more difficult that the pain threshold pain level just remains constant yeah, it definitely does not get easier. And I like that quote that's like, running it doesn't get easier, you just get stronger or something like that. But um, yeah, no, it, it's, no matter what time you're running, if you're running five hours, if you're running two hours, um, it's definitely never easier. But yeah, I think you just are, once you're more experienced, you can kind of prepare for what you're going to feel physically and emotionally those last few miles. So I think definitely being a more experienced runner helps. Um, and it also helped that I ran Chicago last year. And, and you know, I, I did did hit that wall, like, at mile twenty twenty one. So I really didn't know what to expect. Um, you know, and I knew running a sub-two-hour marathon is not easy, especially since I was trying to, you know, make a pretty big jump 10 minutes. So I knew I was gonna, going to – I was going to be hurting. So, yeah, definitely I think it's good to prepare. And, um, yeah, so <laughs> it definitely does not get easier, but you have, you have a little more preparation and you're kind of more ready for the pain. That's well said. That's well said. Um, yeah. You mentioned earlier, you know, that you're on Instagram. You've developed quite a following and a very, it seems like, a, like a, quite a community um, on Instagram. Your handle is uh, Alana runs 26.2. And for you, how has that affected your running? Because it seems like a lot of people engage with, you know, the content that you put out there. Yeah, I love Instagram. Um, I love that community. Like you said, I think a lot of people, you know, kind of can see the negative aspects of social media. And I, I definitely know that there are some negative aspects. And it is a pretty big comparison game, which is a really, you know, bad trap to fall down. Um, but I think the community that I've kind of fallen into is just great. And everyone is so, you know, um, encouraging of each other. And I never – I started to Instagram probably a year ago when I was training for my first Chicago marathon. And I just did it because I was running, you know, and doing all these times. And I was following all these runners. And I didn't want to post on my personal page because, you know, my friends don't care. who don't know anything about running, don't care. So, um, you know, I just started this page to have fun with it. And the people I've met through it, you know, met online. It's just amazing. And um, I've met some people in real life. And it's everyone really is encouraging. And, you know, I've seen people, um, I think really when I started to get that sub three, you know, thought in my mind, I had seen a mom of three and, and she had gone from a 311 marathon to a 250. 
seven, and I was just so inspired by that. And I said, you know, if she can do it, she's a mom of three boys, you know, I can do it. I can put in the work. It's all about how hard you work. So I think it's just I've met so many amazing people, and I love I love sharing my journey. And like I said, a lot of people just put the highlight reel on Instagram. Um, I try and be real and honest as much as I can. So I want people to just know that I'm not a professional runner. I never will be. But you know, I have a full time job. You know, but if you if you love this sport and want to get better, you can, and you just have to put the hard work in it. So I think Instagram is really a great platform to, you know, show your journey and hopefully inspire people and get inspired. That's a great point. And whether it's Instagram or not, who are some of the people that you look up to as a role model in terms of, all right, these are potentially goals I can reach, or these are people who I want to model myself after in a running sense, um, even from a motivational standpoint? Yeah, I mean, of course, I'm a huge running nerd and love to follow those professional runners like Jordan Hesse, who just came third at the fastest American, uh, second fastest American marathoner. I mean, she's incredible, but I'm never going to be on that level. But so I think it's really those those people who I follow on, you know, Instagram and I've met in real life that are just you know, they're moms, they're, they have full-time jobs, that running is not their career, but they put so much time and work, and they've achieved so many amazing goals. Um, I've met this this one amazing woman, Heather, from Instagram, and I've met her in, in real life a few times, and, um, you know, she's in her 40s now and has run, I don't know, 14-something sub-three-hour marathons, and she's just, like, those people are just such huge inspirations to me, and then, you know, you'll see people um, that I follow who started off just like me, three thirty-five marathon or even four hours, and they're going on to qualify for the Olympic trials. So it's just stuff like that. It's like, it, you know, if they can do it, you know, they, they're not professional runners. They're just normal people. You know, why can't I do it? So I think it's really those, you know, quote, normal uh, people who just do it for fun and love it who I have just really seen huge improvements. And that's kind of who I, you know, look up to and, yeah, it really amazes me, and it kind of, you know, sets these thoughts in my mind, like, maybe I can qualify, you know, for the Olympic trials one day, or maybe I can't, but I can I can work hard to get there, you know. That's a great point, and I was about to go there. I know you, you, just, you <laughs> just finished, you just finished a marathon, you just reached an enormous goal. Um, at what point do you say, all right, what's next? You know, what am I, what's the next goal, whether it's short term or long term? Yeah, so I know a lot of people have been like, oh, what's your next goal? What's your next goal? I'm like, well, I haven't ran in uh, six days, so I'm not really sure yet. But, um, no, of course you want to you get faster every time. And I've been lucky. I haven't raced that much. I mean, I've ran six marathons, but, you know, you see some people racing every single weekend, doing halves and 10Ks. So I've been lucky that um, I've PR'd pretty much. I have PR'd in every race that I've ran just because I've, I haven't really been that many races, but um, and if there's going to be a time where I know I don't have a good day and I don't PR, which is totally fine, and, you know, that's going to happen. But, you know, of course I would like to get faster, and like I said, there is that Olympic trial marathon, and who knows if I'll ever get there. I mean, that would be a 15 minutes off the time that I just hit. Um, You know, but I'm, I'm still young. I'm only 23 years old. You, you see some, you know, some women – running in the marathon trial, Olympic marathon trials when they're in the 40s. So who knows? You know, I have three years now, then I have another four years, then another four years. So I think really just setting my eye on those huge goals, um, you know, obviously. But I think it's important to set little goals. Um, I'm running the California International Marathon, and, 
you know, less than two months. So kind of have to get back into training, you know, after I take, you know, a week or two off. And I would love to PR, maybe take a few minutes off here and there. But, you know, it is hard once you, you know, now I, you know, ran a 259. Like how realistic is it to cut off another 10 minutes? So I think now I'm all about those, you know, smaller, maybe two minutes off here. Um, I really do want to run a faster half marathon. So I think, you know, my eyes sit on the half marathon right now. Um, yeah, so those are just some of my goals. I'm, I'm not really a, a shorter distance runner. I would love to, you know, see what my mile PR could be. That's, you know, something fun to do as well. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, you certainly have, a, you know, as bright as your, your present is right now, I can see uh, certainly a bright future. I'm sure everybody can, uh, considering what you've done at, at such a young age uh, compared to other runners in this space. So good luck with everything. Thank you so much for joining joining me today, and good luck at a CIM uh, in two months. I know it's going to be a stacked field. Is it the, is it the yeah. um, National Championship Marathon this year? Yes, the U.S. Championships. Yeah, I think that's what it is. So I'm yeah, I'm just a running nerd, so I'm excited to hopefully see all those other professional runners. And yeah, that, it's going to be really awesome, and hopefully meet some of my Instagram friends. So yeah, I'm excited. It's crazy. I'm running another one so soon, but I'm ready. Hey, good for you. We're definitely excited to uh, <laughs> to see what you can do. And anyone who's listening, if you're interested in learning more about the Rambling Runner podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes and Overcast. Also, we have a fan page on Facebook where we update the uh, the podcast links as well as interesting articles and videos that I see throughout the week. Alana, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. This is so fun. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> My pleasure. Have a good day.